Christopher, that was good. Yep. Brandon, thank you for being here today. Bless you, Bethany. As always, thank you so much for being here. Hello. Hello. Thank you for being here. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Yes, it is. That's mine. Um, oh, no, Sucker Bill, that's yours. That one's mine. Yeah, I was going to say. Okay. Good morning. Welcome to Christ Community Church. Glad you could be with us. Um, tell you what, let's pray together. Lord, in my heart, I know and declare that there is nothing better than you. But my longings and the way I treat people and how I choose to use my time and the decisions I make often would declare a different message. And the people that know me best know that that's true. I want that to be different. I'd like to have a life. I'd like to live a life that continually declares that there's nothing better than you. Um, that is a God-sized project. And I pray that today, as we study your word together, that you would move me uh, in that direction, a little closer to that goal. And I pray that for everybody in this room as well. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I was reading in the book of Job in my journey through the Bible. And this has been, a, I don't even know when we did it, a month ago. And as I was reading along about the, you know, Job's life, and then more importantly, his words to God, it just struck me and left me with the question, are there times where you feel like your life isn't going like it should. You can't read Job's words without, on one level, hearing the shock. He was, he was surprised and shocked that his life was in the the, the position, the situation that he was in. Covered in, well, listen to what he says. <laughs> he says, he's talking to the Lord, months of futility and nights of misery have been allotted to me. I lie in bed thinking how long before I get up. The nights drag on as I toss and turn. Ever in that situation? My body is festering and broken and covered with worms and scabs. My days fly by 
I have no hope. Oh God, remember that my life is but a breath and my eyes will never see happiness again. I will soon be gone and forgotten. So I won't keep silent. My soul complains to you in bitterness. Now maybe not the scabs and the worms or whatever it said, the scabs, boils, and maybe that part is a little different for us to identify with. But the rest of that, I bet most of us can identify with. Times in life when we're, we feel out of con- like life is out of control, like life is going backwards, like life is getting worse rather than there's something inside me that, and I think there's, it's in most of us, we think, the lo- you know, the longer you do anything, the better you ought to get at it. It ought to get easier. It ought to get more comfortable. It ought to get more trustworthy and dependable and, you know, whatever that might be. Well, we sort of project that onto living life. The longer I live life, the more in control out to feel the more the the it ought to be getting better and better um it ought to make more and more sense i ought to feel like i'm moving forward um but so often we don't feel that way we feel like that our our finances are not going forward. They're going backwards. Our health is not getting better and better. It's getting worse and worse. Maybe a, our job situation, our professional life is not moving forward like we think it should. Um, our family, whatever it might be. The complaints of God's favorites to God about the wise and the 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 what's going on God what's going on why is this happening to me those kinds of complaints fill the pages of the Bible you just heard Job Listen to a few more of God's favorites. Pretty much communicate the same thing. Moses in Exodus 5. The Hebrew foreman knew that they were in trouble. They were standing in front of Pharaoh. When they heard, do not reduce the daily number of bricks. So they left Pharaoh and they went to Moses and Aaron and said, May the Lord judge you for what you have done. For you have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and put a sword in his hand to kill us. You've made things worse for us instead of better. You ever had your mate say that to you? Whatever it is you did, it made our family situation worse, not better. So Moses, definitely one of God's faves, he went to God and prayed. Why have you brought this trouble on your people, Lord? 
Is this why you sent me? Since I went to Pharaoh and declared your words to him, he has brought more trouble on your people, and you have not rescued them like you promised you would. Hear that? Things aren't going forward. They're not getting better. We're not making progress. We're going backwards. Joshua, in chapter 7, said, remember, he led the army, he took over for Moses, led the army across the Jordan River. They marched to Jericho, do the Jericho march seven, well, seven days in a row. Uh, uh, walls fall down, that is mighty victory. Nothing can stop them. Charge! Next battle they get to, a little old village down the road a couple of miles. They got their fannies whipped. Joshua's response, Lord, did you bring us into the promised land just to deliver us into the hands of our enemies? This, you can hear this surprise, this shock, this astonishment. I signed up. To be on your team, God, with the confidence that we would be always moving forward, making progress, making headway. Life would be getting better and better. There's even hymns that talk about that. What's the thing about it? it gets sweeter with Jesus every, uh, sweeter every day, or whatever the whatever these songs are. I don't know all the songs. Sweeter as the days go by. Yeah, yeah sweeter yeah. as the days go by. These, these guys would say, no, it's not getting sweeter. Gideon, he said, um, if, the, if the Lord is with us, why is all of this happening? And where are all of His wonderful deeds that our forefathers told us about? Has the Lord now forsaken us? Naomi, in the book of Ruth, one of the saddest statements in the entire Bible. She says to Ruth, Everyone that I love is gone. And my life is more bitter for me than for you. God's hand is against me. Now we read these things and we go, Oh, that's sad. Most of us, maybe not, have, we might not have had the guts to say these things. But oh, I think we have the guts. I think they post them on social oh, well, media every day. Well, thank the Lord I've never been there, so I don't know about that. But uh, I've never had the guts to necessarily say some of these things, but I felt it. And I hear it almost every day from precious people that are in such deep holes. King David, about a third of the Psalms uh, deal with this very subject. He says in Psalm 22, My God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far away? So far from my anguish cries. My God, I cry out to you day and night, but you do not answer, and I cannot find rest the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19 
He says, Lord God Almighty, I have been very zealous for you. The rest of the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets. I'm the only faithful one left. And they're now trying to kill me. The prophet Habakkuk, How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. I cry for violence. I cry violence, but you don't save. Why do you tolerate evil? Destruction and violence and strife and conflict are everywhere. Jump to the New Testament. The twelve disciples. They're in that boat. Storms getting worse and worse and worse. Waves are crashing over and filling the boat more and more and more. And, and it, this story is in all four Gospels. And it says this. The boat began to sink. And where is the mighty Savior? Asleep. And the response of the disciples is, Lord, don't you care? There are times when God's favorites are in experiences and situations and circumstances where they... It was an honest expression, Lord. Don't you care? John the Baptist, Matthew 11, when Jesus said there's no one ever born of woman as great as John the Baptist. Clearly one of God's faiths. It says in Matthew 11, When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of Jesus, he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him, Are you the Messiah? Or should we expect someone else? What John is saying is, Dude, I'm the one that your father called upon to introduce you to the nation of Israel and to the world. You're the Messiah. I'm your number one ambassador and I'm rotten in prison. And it's, it looks like it's going to get worse, not better. And it did get worse for John. So John's only conclusion was, maybe you're not the person I thought you were. Finally, well, got two more. Emmaus, you know the little couple that were on the Emmaus road after Jesus died and was in the tomb. Actually, the Sunday morning of Jesus' resurrection. They didn't know that he had resurrected. And uh, so this little couple's left Jerusalem. They're going back home. They're all discouraged and dismayed. And and it says, and they meet this person. That turned out to be the Lord Jesus. They didn't know it was the Lord Jesus. And... They tell him, they, Jesus says, y'all look sad. And they go, well, we are sad. Well, why are you sad? And their response is, how have you missed what's just happened the last few days? They said, and they replied, Jesus of Nazareth was, the, was a powerful prophet in word and deed before God and all the people. But our priest and our rulers sentenced him to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. Do you hear that? We had hoped. We, we thought, 
We thought life was going to get better and better. We thought, man, we are making headway, progress. We are advancing. The Messiah's here. Good times are on their way. But our hope, as far as they knew, at that moment, was deteriorating in a cave. And then the Apostle Paul. Well, not the Apostle Paul. Now he, he you know, we're talking about a water walking, Red Sea splitting, hovering above the ground, miracle working dude. He never felt that way. Is that right? He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, there were times when we were overwhelmed beyond our strength to the point that we even despaired of life. That's a Bible way of saying we hoped that we would die. Got to bring us up. <laughs> bring us up, Scotty. We're Beat down. Us up. Yeah. Bring us up. Well, I do have. We do have some words of hope and encouragement. But if not, I, I read those. Really, I read that Job's words. And the the main thing that I want you to to hear me say this morning, not the only thing I'll say, but the main thing I want us to all hear today is. It's okay to feel that way. It doesn't mean you don't love God. It doesn't mean you don't have faith. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. There are going to be times when you feel like that. There are going to be times when the people that are closest to you feel like that. Are you okay? Are you, are you okay with it? Now, don't talk like that. Don't talk like that. that. That's what I would tend to say. That's my tendency too. Cheer up. Buck it up. You know, we're talking about the, the cream of the crop. The greatest followers of God that have ever touched this soil. And there were times when they struggled. They were shocked and confused and dismayed that they had signed on to follow somebody, serve someone, trust someone who had allowed them to get into a place where there was digression, not progression. So, I want to, I want to, and, and I didn't, I didn't, well, I, I never do that, but I didn't just get this out of a book somewhere. These are uh, four things that, that really we do, but it's more me. I get into these holes much more often than she does. She's much more steady than I am. I, I, I can get up on top of a mountain about as fast as anybody, but I can also get down in valleys faster than most as well. And um, uh, I just want us to talk about four things real quickly. First one being this. I think it's very important, and I want you to hear me, 
And if you watch my wife's face, she doesn't know I'm going to say this. Uh -oh. But, but uh, when I say this, she's going to cringe just okay. a little bit, okay? Um, but I think it's very important for us to remember what the Bible says about God that is true versus what we want to believe is true or we feel is true. I think it's very important that we discover, number one, but then remember what the Bible says about God and about life, for that matter. That is true versus what we wish were true, wish was true. We wish were true. Hope is true. Feel is true. Because at the end of the day, guys, I realize that I'm a dinosaur. I realize that I live in a world that no longer... I, I live in a world... The world that I am comfortable with no longer exists. I understand that. But here's the truth. My desires, my feelings, and even my faith don't make things true. Let me say it one more time. My desires, my feelings, and even my faith do not make things true. God reserves the right to decide what's true and not true Himself. We live in a world that says, well, if you feel a certain way, then that must be true for you. If you want something, it doesn't matter whether you should want it or not. If you want it, then that must be true for you then to obtain that. And for some of my precious heroes and friends that would be of a certain Christian subsection uh, this idea of our faith that if what I believe I can make true our faith doesn't make things true the Bible would say that we our faith should be in what is true we put our faith in that which is true we don't have faith to make things true. We need to discover what the Bible says is true and put our faith in that. Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm saying? God decides what's true, not my feelings, not my desires, not even my faith. That's why the Bible says in Philippians 4, think on things that are true that are noble, that are right, that are pure, that are lovely, that are admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. And guess who gets to decide what is true and what's not? 
What is noble and what's not. What's right and what's not. What's pure and what's not. What's lovely and what's not. And on and on and on. So as Solomon says in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. What he's saying is, trust in the Lord's wisdom and in the Lord's understanding. Don't trust in your own. And one of the things that the Bible says is true, guys, is that being a follower of God, the God of the Bible, not the God of our imagination, not the God that our parents necessarily taught us, not the God that we've heard about on the radio or the TV or the internet, God help you, but the God of the Bible, the God that I have every morning rolled up my spiritual sleeves and set my rear end down on the couch and I open my Bible and day after day after day after day I discover what the Word of God reveals to me to be true about the God of Israel. The Bible would tell us that to follow that God means that at times things get worse before they get better. Death comes before life. Bad times come before good. And defeat comes before victory. The very fundamental, foundational truth of Christianity is the gospel. Wait, I've forgotten. What is, what's the, what is the gospel again? What is it? What's the gospel? I've forgotten. Somebody help me. I've forgotten it. It's what? It's the good news, but what is the gospel? What's the Bible say the gospel is? It's the death, death burial, and resurrection of Christ. Isn't that the gospel? What are the first two parts of the gospel? The death and the burial precede the resurrection. We want to jump to the resurrection and exclude the death and the burial. But that's not the truth. Life is, God offers us a life of death, burial, and resurrection. So literature, of course, is where I spend so much of my time and is full, good books that stay the test of time are full of this tension, right, between reason and faith. And so I think that bears saying in this audience with this sermon today, reason and faith sometimes mingle, but it's rare. They can mingle, but yes. I can't think of it off the top of my head. They, 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 but it's rare. Human logic and faith, God's logic, if that's the right word for it, are, are often... Two different things, and often in tension with one another. And so we have to make a choice at that point, right? It's, it's, a, it's a crossroads, and we have to mm -hmm. make a choice at that point. And, and that's it. So if we choose what, what is human logic, <laughs> there's a term that we use at school, you choose what you have chosen. So, so mm -hmm. that's it. If, you choose, if we choose human logic, then this the thing's... It can seem hopeless at times. But if we choose faith, things can still seem hopeless. Yes. <laughs> but yes. we have chosen a path beyond human logic. 
we imagine that the people that were going through the Red Sea were holding up these signs saying, we're, we're number, number one. one. Take that, Pharaoh. Think about if the Red Sea, now it had to open up big enough for, I mean, this was not some little path. It would have had to have opened up huge. But they saw the waters on both sides. I don't know how many feet high, but, you know, it would have been terrifying mm. to be walking around that city of Jericho and see all those soldiers and weapons day after day. It, w it would have been very terrifying. See, human logic is reductive. And so it says there, there wasn't that much water. Those walls weren't that high. In order to force it into our knowledge, yes. our reasonable knowledge, it's reductive. Yes. And faith is whatever the opposite of reductive is. I just would declare to y'all and to, miss, to myself, our ability to endure circumstances and situations that are similar to the lives of the people I read to you at long list. Our ability to endure that well is going to be determined by our familiarity with the God and His ways. The more I'm familiar with him and his ways, the less shocked I'll be when times are difficult because I just read about a bunch of them. It's not that odd. It's not that unusual. It doesn't mean something's wrong. And to the degree that I do, I'm not familiar with it, I've just heard on the radio, if I believe in God and send this dude a big check, I'm going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And everybody in my life will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And when it doesn't go well, somebody's to blame. Something's wrong. I need names. Because I, I, I need to go to the complaint department. We sang that song, Christopher. It was perfect. In Isaiah 61, the Bible says that God turns ashes into beauty, mourning into laughter, despair into praise, tears into joy, captivity into freedom, shame into honor, foolishness into wisdom, death into life. But do you see, all those bad things were there too. They had to go through those bad things. It wasn't God lets us avoid those bad things. It's that as we go through them, and once we've gone through them, He'll turn them into good things. Not remove them. We think that we're going to be exempt. They weren't exempt. In Psalm 126, the psalmist says, Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. But they had to sow the tears before they could reap the joy. They didn't just get a big barrel of joy. <laughs> they had to sow the tears first. And I could give you more verses. Second thing I would remind all of us, 
is to remember how God treated his favorites. Paul says in Hebrews 12 that we are surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses. Do we dare ask the question, how did God treat Abraham who made Abraham wait, what, 25 years before he fulfilled his promise to him? Do we dare ask the question, how did God treat Moses? How did God treat David? How did God treat Naomi? How did God treat Daniel and his three buddies? Do I dare suggest that God owes me more than he owed them? Or that he would treat me differently or better than he treated them? I need to be reminded of that. Number three, I know we're out of time. Bible, if the Bible says anything, it constantly reminds me that God's promises to me are both good and unstoppable. And just because, in fact, not only just because they're good and unstoppable, when I get through the bad, the good's going to be waiting on me. And no matter what's blocking my path to the good, it is not going to keep me from the good. But as you reminded me yesterday about the rain on the good and the bad, and you were talking about all these things, sometimes the bad winds up being a good thing. Yep. Not that moment, but I w- the, the good... Not only do I get through the bad, but sometimes the bad is the very bridge to get to the good. Solomon says the rain falls on the just and the unjust, right? It's, it's about perspective, too. Rain, and that verse sounds bad. Oh, the rain's going to fall on the bad and the good. Oh. But if, it's a, if there's a, a drought, then rain is good. California would give their eye teeth for some rain. And who right? gets the rain in, a, in the drought-filled land? Everybody. Good and bad people, everybody. Whatever good and bad means. Or if there's already a flood and we get more rain on top of that, who gets it? Everybody. No one's exempt here. We're, we get good and bad. Everybody gets story. a turn. Yeah. Everybody gets a turn. And for Everybody. us to be shocked, everybody's kids disappoint them. Everybody's kids scare the fire out of them. Everybody's kids break their heart. Well, I'd like to get a pass on that. Everybody's mate wounds them deeper than any other wound you'll ever experience. Everybody gets sick. Everybody dies. Everybody has a loved one. Jerry Bowden lost his parents. My mom lost her husband. I lost my dad. Well, oh, oh my gosh. Let's call the police. That's not happen. No. Everybody gets a turn. And for us to act like we're not going to go through experiences similar to God's favorites in the Bible. That's pride. It's pride and it's just ignorance. We're just, as my, one of my dear friends, you hit that, just ignorant. It's just completely ignorant. 
And lastly, my daughter married a wonderful man. Couldn't ask for a better son-in-law. He loves baseball. He was a college, he had a scholarship in college to play college baseball. Hence, he loves baseball. Guess what his son, my grandson, is going to probably get to be involved in a lot growing up? Baseball. If the dad likes baseball, the kid gets to be involved in a lot of baseball. Golf, tennis, hunting, uh, football, whatever you like. If the dad really prioritizes and values something, the kid's probably going to get to experience a lot of it, right? That bear, the God of the Bible, seems to really value waiting. And since the dad values waiting, guess what he wants me to value? Waiting. David says in Psalm 37, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Psalm 27 says, Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Psalm 30 says, I wait for Yahweh. I wait and I put my hope in His Word. Psalm 25 says, Guide me in your truth. Teach me for you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. And I'm going to, I'll read this way better than Brenda did. In Habakkuk 2, the prophet says, Though God's vision, and I think you can make that as big a vision or as small a vision, as global a vision as you want or as personal a vision as you want. Though God's vision for your life delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come to pass, and it will not be late. But God still values waiting. He's waiting on me. (laughs) How many times has God been waiting on me? And you too probably. And since God values waiting, God wants us to wait. But if we'll wait, He promises there'll be a day. And every one of those fellas that I read to you, to a man, to a person, they all would declare it was worth it. They went through seasons that sucked. (laughs) And they complained to God about it. But God brought them through it. And God will bring, them, bring you through your times of suckage and me too. If we'll just trust Him and wait. The only thing worse than being in a boat in a storm is jumping out of the boat. That, that, I don't always know what the plan is when I'm in a little boat in a big storm. I can tell you what the plan's not to be. Jump out of the boat. Okay? Anything you want to add? No. Okay. Love you. That's good.
Yeah, it's good. <laughs> good for me. <laughs> good for me. Um, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We take the Lord's Supper for lots of reasons. But one of the reasons we take the Lord's Supper is to declare that our hope is in someone and what they did on the cross for us. Our hope is in Him even when we're in storms. My hope, my, my loved one is sick. I just got laid off. My kid is in rebellion. Life is bad, but my hope is in God. My hope is in God. I'm willing to wait on Him. That's one of the reasons we take the Lord's Supper. So, if your hope is in the Lord and in what He did for you, then I want to invite you to come and take and eat and drink and just be reminded and remind each other. My hope is in the Lord. I might not see it or feel it today, but my hope is in the Lord. And if you would, I want you to do something for me. When you go back to your seat, take just a moment, just the, before I dismiss this and give you the benediction, take a couple of minutes and pray for our uh, Supreme Court and for those that run this country and make the laws. Uh, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I even know. What I know is that I'm thankful I'm not them. Because they are facing decisions about a lot of things that are very important, that are beyond my pay grade to know what's right. And uh, we all can be armchair quarterbacks. But at the end of the day, these are big things that impact millions of people in, in multiple ways. And we just need to ask God to give them wisdom and to guide them and show them the way. And so let's, let's as a church, when we get back to our seats, just take a moment and let's pray for those that make the laws and those that uh, define the laws, the Supreme Court, um, just that God would give them wisdom, okay? You come.